0: It's amazing to meet you. It is simply extraordinary. Good for you. Good for you. And yet, it is true. What do we call you, sir?
1: Hello, I'm Sam Adams, and this is the Slate Spoiler Special for Glass. Glass is the third film in a trilogy that began with M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable in 2000 and picked up again in 2016's Split. The premise of all three movies is that comic book-like superheroes live among us and have for centuries, but they keep a low profile and sometimes don't even know that they have powers themselves. In Glass, Samuel L. Jackson's evil mastermind resumes his quest to make their existence public by engineering a battle between Bruce Willis and James McAvoy, which leads to a climactic showdown that, well, we'll get to that. Joining me to talk about Glass is Jeffrey Bloomer, who is the senior editor at Slate, Hi, Sam and Matt Singer, who is the editor in chief of Screen Crush. Hi, hi. Um, So let's sort of, uh, sort of set the groundwork here because uh, I think we all have some sort of history with M. Night Shyamalan. He's um, been around a long time, and this is the way this movie kind of came to be part of a trilogy is is quite unusual. Um, Both Unbreakable and Split kind of saved as for the last act twist that they were actually comic book movies. you you know, Unbreakable kind of presents itself as this sort of fairly realistic, grounded uh, thing about this uh, security guard played by Bruce Willis discovering that he's kind of impervious um, and then you only find out at the big twist at the end because every Shyamalan movie has to have a twist that uh, – uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character, who like runs an art gallery specializing in uh, sequential art, as he would probably call it, um, is this kind of evil genius who's been masterminding uh, Bruce Willis's emergence as the superhero all along. Uh, Split is a movie in which James McAvoy plays a character, kind of a, a sort of serial killer um with multiple personalities one of which he's convinced um we think delusionally is this kind of superhuman uh persona called the beast um and we only find out at the end of the movie that the beast is in essence real that he actually does become kind of bulletproof when this uh persona takes control and then we find out at the very end in the literal last shot of the movie um, is a shot of Bruce Willis's character um, sitting at the counter of a, a diner, kind of hearing a news report about uh, James McAvoy, and that it is only at that point that we realize that this whole movie has kind of been taking place in the same universe as Unbreakable, and was in fact a sequel that no one knew was a sequel until that point. Um, so the, the difference, the big difference with this movie is that we know where we are at the beginning. We are, we know that we're already in this comic book world where there are both heroes and villains. Um, and that puts us on an entirely different uh, sort of footing. So, how, I mean, what was your feeling, kind of going in, going into this?
0: I was sort of looking forward to it. I have to tell you. I mean, I, I think Unbreakable is one of the the good Shyamalans, uh, and um, you know, I thought that the twist at the end of Split was reasonably clever. You know, to sort of to kind of uh, as twists go, compared to the twists in Glass, which we'll talk about. I mean, it was pretty <laughs> pretty good. Uh, that 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 these were all like sort of the uh, the. Shyamalan cinematic universe, I guess that they were all connected. So, uh, you know, going into it, I was sort of looking forward to it. I what I got was not what I expected, both in terms of sort of the 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 content and how much of the movie is, you know, not really. Um, it's not really like superheroes being superheroes. It's more like uh, like superhero therapy or a woman sort of trying to gaslight superheroes into thinking that they're not superheroes. And then just the fact that I was kind of interested to see it. And then I, I
2: thought it was kind of a huge disappointment. Jeff? Uh, I was not particularly looking forward to it. it, it see, the <laughs> thing is, for me, it looked like it indulged all of Shyamalan's worst instincts about leaning into his own like, neuroses with the different movies. And also, I think it's sort of fraudulent to, and playing into his hands to call it a trilogy. Because Split, the movie, until the last five or ten minutes, has absolutely no signs that it's part of this. Like, no pun intended. What? <laughs> <laughs> Ha! Huh, signs, uh, but no, it's it has. It, there's no sign that it's. Uh, I did it again. That that's part of this sort of interconnected world. It just feels very tacked on to a point where I'm like shocked that a universal executive didn't say no. Like you're not doing this. I'm not letting you do this. Instead, the, it just it has it just like draws into this world in this movie. They're totally so different that I was really worried that they were not. They like they were going to clash in a bad way as one movie, and that's exactly what happened.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think going in, I was kind of excited... Despite myself, I have a pretty sort of checkered history with um, his whole, Over, I guess, um, I was a, a film critic at a, one of the alt-weeklies in Philadelphia when The Sixth Sense came out. And I think, as most people probably know, and, and much i from Philadelphia, still lives on the main line. Um, it was a huge deal in Philadelphia that a filmmaker, like, actually became successful, like, while living there, because usually people are raised there and then go somewhere else and become famous and um, occasionally, you know, make a sort of terrible rap song about it um (laughs) but uh you know he stuck there people really excited i panned the movie before realizing that it was being a come this insane thing i got hate mail about that review for like literally three years afterwards Um, do you still hate it i i i mean i haven't seen it since then i don't see any reason to change i mean i liked the ones after that better like i kind of liked unbreakable i thought science was kind of interesting i like the village um in some ways quite a lot Um, And then things have kind of gone downhill since then. So uh, another thing that's going on with this movie is Shyamalan has been having a little bit of a resurgence recently, starting with um, The Visit in, I guess, uh, 2015. Um, And this seemed the sort of twist at the end of Splits very much seemed like a very calculated move to kind of both kind of put himself back in the conversation and to kind of muscle his way into what's become this sort of enormous... Superhero monoculture. I and mean, one of one of the things that's so different about this movie coming out now and Unbreakable in two thousand is, is, you know, Un- Unbreakable was kind of in this real kind of trough for superhero movies. I mean, the Batman franchise had fizzled out at that point. It was four years before the first um, of Sam Raimi's Spider Man movies. So it was really kind of a nothing um, period for the genre. And there was, and it was just a sort of a real. It's, I mean, it's almost hard to imagine that, but it was actually a surprise to get to the end of this movie and be like, wait a minute, we've been watching like, you know, like kind of a real like superhero movie like all along. It was actually um, kind of like a neat, you know, twist that sort of like cast the whole movie in in a different light. Um, that's not the environment we're in now. I mean, it's the, <laughs> right. the the least surprising thing a movie can be about is superheroes right. at this point. Um So one, but I thought it would. I thought it might be actually. I was like, oh, it could be very, like, interesting to see him like take on this genre that's changed so much, and maybe some of the ideas, in that like to see you know how the ideas in the first movie will have shifted with since the the cultural terrain shifted so much. I think, and I think we'll talk about this, um, but I think largely the ideas have not. Yeah, Um, And that is one of the huge problems with this movie. Um, You know, we try to sort of in the spoiler specials take people through the plot um, if they're having trouble with it or just haven't seen the movie. It's weird with this movie because I feel like on the one hand a lot and on the other hand like very little happens. Um, The movie felt when I was watching it about nine hours long. Um, But, uh, you know, that I try to come back on it and think about, you know exactly what happened and i kind of can't remember that many actual plot points but um just in brief kind of we pick up um 19 years after unbreakable although somehow also only a few weeks after split which was set 16 years after it so um but and they they're very explicit about how long it's been since the first movie in both of them so i don't i'm not sure how that works but um Bruce Willis's character, David Dunn, um, is still—he's gone from being a security guard to running kind of a security store. Um, he is w- with his son, who's played by Spencer Treat Clark, who also played his son in Unbreakable. Um, he's still kind of a, a vigilante, uh, crime fighter, but he seems to, uh, you know, in a very small stakes sense. I mean, the opening scene of. Well, not because the opening scene of the movie is actually involves James McAvoy's character, but the first time we see Bruce Willis in this movie, he is tracking down these kind of punk kids who have were like shooting like a kind of would be viral video and like punched a guy, and he goes and like tracks them down. So um, his his ambitions, despite being you know sort of Superman ish, um, or at least. You know, uh, you know, Power Man ish or something. I mean, has really not sort of gotten especially ambitious about his his crime fighting in the in, in intervening nineteen years. He didn't like go and track down Osama Bin Laden or something. Um, so, but he's, you know, stayed very much under the radar. He's kind of a shadowy figure in Philadelphia. He's been given various names over the years, the including... The Tiptoe Man. The, yes, the, the Tiptoe Man is one of the, like, who came up with that? Yeah. Uh, the Green the, Ghost, I The think, Overseer. The, yeah, the Overseer I mean, is, what is he's the going one they by seem now. to settle on. Yeah, yeah, they have most recently set it on yeah. The Overseer, which is uh, some sort of an improvement. But um, <laughs> anyway, he gets wind that this uh, James McAvoy character, um, Kevin Wendell Crumb also known as the Beast or the Horde. The Horde. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, I saw I saw one article that it might have been years back that referred to them as like Horde done in glass, which actually sounds like a law firm. Um, but so the, the Horde is sort of still out there. He's got a thing for kidnapping cheerleaders, um, chaining them up, and then eating them. Um, and he's, he's done this again. Um, Bruce Willis kind of happens, just happens to bump into him in the street, and he has this right. sort of psychic... I'm trying not to say sixth sense. It's hard, <laughs>
0: um, but he it's has- his overseer sense. Yes, yes. <laughs> but he has to actually touch the people, yes. which is not at all creepy. No, yeah. So he touches people, and then he can sort of glom their <laughs> deepest, darkest evil secrets.
1: Yeah. So he realizes that uh, you know James that this first of all that James McAvoy is this beast character that he has these women kind of chained up in a warehouse somewhere. Um, he you know tracks him down fights it um you know rescues them but just as he's kind of about to be triumphant up shows uh, Sarah Paulson who plays a sort of psychiatrist i guess specializing in kind of superhero delusion that's her line she is um believes that there are people out there who believe that they are superheroes but are wrong and um rather than having them go to jail or she's like she has like 3 days to convince them that in fact they're not who they think they are. So then, both he, both Bruce Willis and James McAvoy, get locked up in the same asylum that also happens to where uh, Samuel Jackson's character from the first movie has been locked up for 19 years. Um, and that's sort of, I guess, the first hour, but also sort of the first act of the movie. I mean, was there? Sort of a point in there, Matt, where you kind of felt like things were maybe going off the rails, or how long were you with it?
0: I was, I was with most of what you're describing. I mean, the the tiptoe man m- might have, uh, or whatever he's called, might have raised my eye, my eyebrows, but no. I mean, I thought that was like the strongest stuff in the movie because I, I you know, I, I didn't realize that Spencer Treat Clark was going to be back playing his son, and I thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic that he's kind of his like Alfred is his son who sits in a in his kind of like bat cave, his overseer cave underneath their, uh, their their business. And he they talk on the phone and he helps him uh, fight crimes. I don't know. I thought that was sort of, you know, kind of um, a believable kind of place to find this character 19 years later, given that he was kind of a reluctant, um, shy character. It was really – the part that really started to lose me was w- where we've left off the plot where – you know, this movie that seems like it's just kind of ramping up into this sort of conflict between the characters. Instead, they literally go to they like get thrown in jail, and then the next hour or as you were saying, it feels like a nine hour movie. So I guess the next like six and a half hours is like <laughs> sitting in rooms while Sarah Paulson as Dr. Ellie Staple is her character's name, as she kind of tries to convince them that they are all not super Superheroes, and uh, well, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that part. But I I thought not only was that part sort of very long and plotting and talky and boring, like it just seems fundamentally like from a like a conceptual level, it seems misguided to me to to do that in this movie after you've done Unbreakable and Split movies about. These like sort of like breaking down the audience's natural kind of defense to believing that superheroes could be real. Like that was the idea behind Unbreakable. That was the idea almost behind Split, which you didn't even realize it It was like this guy. He's he's, you know, the uh, James McAvoy character. He's crazy. He thinks he's got the the beast inside him. And then at the end, oh, my goodness, he does. And Unbreakable had the same thing. So you've spent like a a combined like three hours convincing people superheroes (laughs) superheroes are real. And then this movie spends the middle hour of its movie like, actually, they're not real. And it's just like, it seems so fundamentally misguided to me to do that in this movie.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with you about the beginning. It was like very fun, kind of, at first. Um, I was sad that Robin Wright just was like unceremoniously killed off with cancer because I was expecting her to show up at some point. She was the wife in Unbreakable. Um, But that dynamic was great. And it was, I think it pointed to the kind of movie that we were cheated out of, Mm -hmm. which is an actual sequel to Unbreakable, which it seems like may have been viable. But then once we get into the asylum, yeah, it very quickly becomes uh, untenable, yeah. I mean i I have sort of mixed um and then sort of
1: not entirely informed because there's just way too much tea about him. but i have I have complicated feelings about Ryan Murphy, but I my the I think the greatest thing the um, most unequivocally great thing about Ryan Murphy is that he's like made Sarah Paulson like a star finally, and that's like very exciting and it's great to see her. It's great to see her in this big role and this kind of starring position in this movie. but her character, um, just kind of doesn't make any sense. I mean, she is, she seems to be at least for most of the movie and we'll get to the twist, um, or one of them, but she seems to be kind of acting in good faith. I mean, she Mm -hmm. really believes these people are, um, delusional. Um, although that also requires her to be kind of extremely stupid somehow, um, (laughs) which is is a (laughs) bit of a problem considering that she's supposed to be playing this kind of high level, um, psychiatrist, but, um, you know, it just puts her in the position of spending this huge chunk of the movie trying to convince these people that something that we know is true is not true. Um, And it seems like Shyamalan, like, the movie is trying to kind of make us question whether or not that's true or sort of being built on, like, oh, what if, like, what if it's not? But it's like there's no – we know this already. Like, there's no more question. And it's like he can't sort of – skip past that part that he's already, as you say, Matt, like already spent two like entire movies establishing. So, you know, this movie takes, I think it's an hour and 15 minutes before Samuel L. Jackson has his first line. Like he spends, you know, more than half of the movie kind of just sedated, um, kind of drooling and occasionally like twitching one of his eyes um, because supposedly he's so dangerous that you can't even let him, you know, form a coherent thought or something, despite the fact that he has these incredibly brittle bones that if he like like basically sneezes rushes up against something their own way (laughs) he'll like shatter into a million pieces Um, but uh, you know it just takes so long to get to get to where
0: it feels like the movie ought to start yeah. And, and uh, I mean, unbreakable and split like the twists at the end, you could say, well, like they seem sometimes seem kind of misguided, but they don't they don't really harm the rest of the movie. Like the rest of the movies are kind of about the characters and about their feelings about what's going on and, the you know, whatever they are. This movie, the, the like the whole movie is building to this big, shocking twist that to me, like actively undermines the rest of the movie, because especially like you're talking about Sarah Paulson's character, like. We don't get to see her – anything about her except where she's like like monologuing and explaining to these people how they're not actually superheroes. We never get to see why she's doing it, what she thinks about it, what her life outside of this bizarre asylum is because to show any of those things would spoil the big plot twist that he has planned. And so he's sort of – he's created a movie where the character who talks the most and has the most dialogue and is like driving the story is someone we know nothing about, don't understand, don't really care about – and again it's just like it's like a, such a from a structural conceptual perspective it's so bizarre because like you said like the movie is called Glass but Sam Jackson doesn't talk for an hour and 15 minutes and you know it's like it's barely about him it's it they almost should have called it Staple except we don't <laughs> except we don't know what her deal is because to do so would be to spoil the big twist which You know, maybe if the twist was really, truly mind blowing and interesting and exciting, you could almost justify it in your mind. But to me, it was not. And so it became the thing where it was like, what a colossal waste of time that was.
1: All right. Well, let me run us through sort of the next section of the plot, kind of just up to up to the twist, um, and we'll talk about that a little bit because I, I think we're going to spend you know a lot of the time i um, talking about, and this is. That's an Iron Shyamalan movie. That's why we're here. We know what's coming. <laughs> um, so I- eventually, what happens is, of course, um, you know Samuel L. Jackson, uh, you know Mister Glass as first name Mister, last name Glass, yes, as he prefers. He to says be called. that. Yes, that's yes. a
0: line of dialogue in the film.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's really yes. It's I mean, it's I, I don't know Jeff wrote a great um, post for the site, um, kind of sp- sp- going through the ending. And I think there's like, and I don't even well, i have gotten to the twist yet, but there's all these parts where where you're like. Well, how do you know this is happening like because here is the line of dialogue that says this is what's happening right now <laughs> while you're watching the movie um you know for me it felt a little bit like you know samuel l jackson's character is kind of like having like a you know someone explaining the plot like sitting in the next sheet to you the entire time he just keeps telling you like what's happening in comic book terms as if we haven't all been completely sp- spent the last 15 years just being completely deluged with comic book logically. We don't need a character in the movie to explain that in comic books, often the bad guy and the good guy fight each other at the climax showdown. Like he almost
0: uses air quotes (laughs) to say it every time.
1: Yes. But uh, so in any case we find out that he has, he has once again, this insanely kind of complicated plot that you really cannot look at too closely where he is, has been pretending to be sedated the whole time, but is really just kind of lying in wait. Once he realizes that, um, the horde and the Green Ghost, or the Tiptoe Man and the Beast, or whatever it is you want to call them. Um, once he realizes that they're all in this in the same asylum, um, he's going to he wants to arrange this big battle between these two characters. He wants it to happen publicly. He says he wants to happen at the top of the Osaka Tower, which is a newly opened structure in Philadelphia, which does not actually exist, um, but is going to be the sort of the tallest building in the city because there will because Often in superhero comics, people go to the site of some great human achievement. Um, and so it's just going to open. They're going to they're be all those cameras there. These two guys are going to go and have this big public fight. And then it will be clear once and for all to the world that – superheroes or whatever you want to call these creatures, um, you know, these sort of next evolution of humanity that they actually exist, um, which is kind of Glass's like whole agenda. He he wants people to realize that the things we have taken to be kind of, you know, silly myths or fantasies are actually real, like, that comic books have always been kind of a way of just kind of coping with or rationalizing or kind of passing down this knowledge without really um, admitting what's actually going on. So he wants to organize this big um, battle. Um, his plans do not quite go. His plans do not go as we think he has planned um, or the budget didn't come through or something. Um, so instead of fighting on top of the giant skyscraper, they end up fighting in the parking lot of the um, <laughs> of the mental asylum. Um, there is we have to talk about on, you know, Taylor Joy's character as well, but um, who is uh, sort of. Uh, James James McAvoy's intended victim in Split, the only person to kind of escape. Um for some reason, despite the fact that he tried to eat her in the previous movie, she kind of feels sorry <laughs> for him. In this one, um Samuel Jackson's mother, um, played by Charlene Woodard shows up again. So and and um Bruce Willis's son, Spencer Tree Clark, is there. So they're all they all three of them are present at this final battle um in which all three of these characters end up dead. Um, We find out – I guess twist number one is we find
0: out that – what is it? James McAvoy's dad? His father died on the same train crash that that was when Bruce Willis discovered his powers, which was all – engineered by samuel jackson he caused it to crash because he was trying to find superheroes trying to prove they existed yes so there's
2: so many fucking twists in this movie that i forgot about that point completely it's funny i thought
0: thought we already knew that for some reason i had i I don't know why but i just like (laughs) almost assumed that that was the case i don't know why i did i I guess i had heard that they were calling these movies like the east rail 177 trilogy or something (laughs) which is the name of the train that crashed and so I, i maybe just i just connected in my mind i was like oh right because that's where bruce was was and And clearly that uh, must have inspired uh, James McAvoy somehow. And that turns out to be the twist. Yeah. So
1: so when McAvoy finds this out, he kills Samuel L. Jackson. He kind of crushes his brittle bones in his chest so that he slowly bleeds out in the parking (laughs) lot, but not before he can witness the rest of the fight. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy has this kind of tender moment with um, James McAvoy where she gets his kind of least – aggressive, um, kind of truest personality, which is kind of this abused child. Uh, his story and the, the story of Split really is that both of them were abused as children. She has been kind of recuperating from it in a more healthy manner. He dealt with it by having his personality fractured into these 25 different personalities. Um, the most benign of them is Kevin, um, who is this kid. So she kind of gets this, talks to him, gets the beast to go back inside him, gets this kid Um, to take control again and they have a tender kind of moment in each other's arms and right at that moment um one of the police snipers who we think is just there to watch things um shoots him dead um and meanwhile bruce willis's character because this is a comic book movie and everything is super dramatic is um i think the phrase is drowned in a puddle
0: correct yes yes (laughs) superman the equivalent of superman drowns in a puddle yes we do know from the first movie that his weakness is yeah, water it's, but it's is is still um,
1: kind yes. of insanely anticlimactic <laughs> it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a whooer! A hand clap or a high fiver I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. DGW report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. plus.
1: Um, so before <laughs> before we get to the the big the big twist. Um I mean, what do we make of this? See, and I mean, there's, you'd be of two minds about it. On the one hand, it, there is a certain kind of when are we going to get to the fireworks factory? Because if they keep telling you <laughs> that you're going to be up on this big skyscraper, and I'm like, it's, it's, we've been here for like over two hours. Like, I don't want another like 20 minute skyscraper battle here. This doesn't feel like a very big budget movie. Like, I'm not even sure how, you know, so there, there's a weird um, letdown, but it's also, I mean, you can look at it as like kind of a subversion or something. Like, but, it, and it is, um, Matt, I think you wrote about this somewhat, just about how kind of physically absent Bruce Willis is in particular in this scene. I mean, it just seems like 98% of it was done with body doubles, including his death scene. There's no, like, you don't see his face. There's some emotional component to um, James McAvoy and Samuel Jackson dying, but he just unceremoniously gets like his head dunked in a puddle until he dies.
0: Yeah so literally yeah. yes yeah. I, still I'm still blown away by that
2: <laughs> I think that it does bear like the unmistakable uh, scars of the budget though apparently Shyamalan financed this movie himself which goes a long way to explaining why anybody wanted to make it like Universal just paid for it for the US and then Disney was going to release it overseas or something but I around halfway through realized we were never going to make it to the tower and I was like okay this is this is it this is the movie
0: I mean I think you know calling it sort of subversive to set that up and then kind of undercut it. I, I think in a better movie, that might be possible. I mean, certainly he is riffing on the idea that all of these Marvel movies end with a big skyscraper and a laser beam shooting into the sky from the top of it. And it's sort of playing with our expectations. But, you know, Sam, you also talked about how this movie seems sort of locked in like the like 20 years ago concept of, of superheroes. So that's the thing. It's like it doesn't have any sort of additional insights into what's happened. And as I've been sitting here listening to you, you know, like, I, I had the same problem about the fact that it doesn't, you know, it's the ideas that were interesting and unbreakable, they don't seem to have, like, evolved at all uh, here. And I was trying to, like, almost, like, play devil's advocate and, like, justify it in my mind. And I'm like, well, okay, Samuel Jackson's character has been locked up for 19 years, so maybe he doesn't understand that comic book movies have evolved and the world has changed which could have been interesting if anyone else in the movie who has spent time on the outside could talk to him about that. Ever pointed out, hey, we know superhero movies are huge now. Everyone talks about superheroes. We all know. You don't have to explain it to us anymore. We get it, Mr. Mister Glass.
1: Yeah, Sarah Paulson's character, Dr. Ellie Staple, I feel like we have to say. I mean, she has this line where she's kind of explaining how this all works to um, Spencer Street Clark and Charlene Wooder and she and Annie Taylor Joy, and she's like, Have you ever been to a comic book convention? And it's like you don't you don't need the whole world of the comic book convention at this point. You right. don't need to go to understand this stuff now.
0: Right, exactly. And so and, and and even like almost more essential than that, you know, glass in the first movie, and I rewatched it last week, and part of what I found really interesting is that he very much has sort of the attitude of like what we now associate as kind of the ultimate kind of online fanboy who demands superheroes are serious. They are real to me, darn it. And I want you to treat them with the seriousness that they deserve. He has a scene in Unbreakable where he's like, he has his art gallery and he's someone comes in wanting to buy artwork. He's like, my son is going to love it. He's four years old. He's like, what? This is, <laughs> this is art, sir. Good day. And he will not sell him his art because this is first. This is a serious thing. This is not for children. And it just seems like Again, like that concept had a lot of like you could see someone believing that in uh, in 1999 and the year 2000. But in 2019, it's like the the fanboys have won yes. and and the seriousness that they wanted, they they got like everyone cares now. Everyone this is everything. This is our whole world. So, again, to sort of not address that, not include that, not evolve the ideas in the movie as a result. It's just sort of just. I'm just so frustrated because, again, like I do like Unbreakable a lot and i I, revisiting it. I was like, I really like this movie a lot. And and I'm just so frustrated that really none of the sort of good stuff in there wound up wound up here up to and including like Bruce Willis not being present in that final fight at all. I mean, I guess it's very convenient. His his costume as a superhero is literally just like. Uh, A poncho, which covers his head, (laughs) which makes it very easy to double him in action scenes where we're just seeing the back of a poncho, which but again, like when his character is literally drowned in a puddle, even though there's a giant water tank behind him, they could have drowned him in like that would have made a lot more sense. Uh, like, yeah, we don't really see his face. We don't really see, we don't get anything from that. Nothing emotionally. And I love that there's a shot before that of just like the big kind of pothole in the parking
1: lot. It's just like, (laughs) oh my gosh, is that a pothole? What if it were to become filled with water? What will become of our hero?
2: So one thing I didn't understand was, were the police like in cahoots with the superhero Illuminati or were they working for the superhero? Yeah.
1: So let's, 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 (laughs) let me lay out this twist for those of you who have not seen the movie or saw it and could not. Fucking believe your eyes. <laughs> um, so after after the sniper shoots uh, Kevin Crum, James McAvoy, um, right before he sort of fires the fatal shot, we see that his sleeve has pulled back a little bit on his wrist, and there is, I guess, it's like a, a clover tattoo, right? Like it's, it's like
0: a, a four leaf clover.
1: Yeah. So there's yeah. there's yeah. a clover tattoo um, on his on his wrist. Then um, as Samuel Jackson is dying, um, Sir Paulson, Doctor Ellie Staple. Um, comes up to him and says something. I'm not going to remember, the, but it's basically like, "I'm so sorry. Like, I I tried. They gave me three days. They said if I, you know, if I could just convince you to sort of step down, if I could talk you out of thinking that you're superheroes, you could have gone on your way. But now we have to do this." And then there's a flashback, you know, a flashback or a sort of sideways or whatever, and we see, um, her as being part of this kind of secret group gathered in this fancy restaurant. And we, we sort of realized that she is part of, yes, this sort of anti-superhero Illuminati Hellfire Club, something or other, <laughs> this sort of secret society of people whose job it is, for some reason, to keep the existence of superheroes um, and, and villains, I guess, whatever, metahumans. Metahumans. Yes, yes we'll say metahumans. Uh, Ew, metahumans. Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, who's who's – jo- who's, kind of task it is to just keep them secret. Um, So what they've been doing all along, traditionally old-fashioned way, is they just kill them. Um, Sarah Paulson has been sort of pioneering this more humane treatment where she just gaslights them until they start thinking that they're not super (laughs) anymore. And so this has been her experimental treatment that she's been trying. um, It has failed um, in this case, and so therefore they all had to die.
2: So. Yes. The the scene, there's like, a, I think a later scene where she goes into a restaurant everybody is like very eerie and turns toward her just like in silence. Oh, they're all,
0: they're all, it's like they're going about their meals and then like the one person who's not in the Illuminati leaves and then all of a sudden it's silence
2: <laughs>
1: and they all turn. And what I love is it's not just like, um, I believe the restaurant in that shot is High Street on Market. Um, that, but I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, but is it
0: an evil restaurant? In, 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 in real life, experience? Their, their bread's very good. <laughs> um,
1: but no, when the one person walks out the door and then it falls silent, um, the people still in
0: there include like the servers the bartender. The bartender. There's, a, there's yes. a very clear shot of the bartender listening. like With it's a an, tattoo, yeah. Yes, it's an evil bartender whose yeah. job it is is to tend bar and ensure that superheroes so don't I, realize they're real. I wanted to know, like, what does this guy do like the other 98% of
1: the time? He's <laughs> he just like...
2: <laughs> I wanted to know that, too. I thought maybe it was like a communist club where they all switch roles. So maybe Sarah Paulson uh... in the next movie will be a bartender and then someone else will be the... This... I wasn't sure, but that. he also
1: like invented the absinthe rinse. Like he's got a whole <laughs> sideline going on there. But yeah, so.
0: In, back to your question about like, uh, did do, do the police work for her? Yeah, I, I thought, I assumed, with no evidence, just assuming that these were not actual police. They were the evil thugs of the illuminati who were disguised as police to further their goals yes. yeah, or maybe, maybe it's just even like us. the one
1: the one oh no i guess it's not the one guy because it's also two of them who like
0: like at least two who, of them like stra- don't they uh, yeah they do they, they drown they bruce willis puddle drown yes. bruce willis and yeah.
1: yeah and presumably if the other ones are real cops right. they would they would
0: even, notice that the other their yeah. brethren were, were were yeah
1: killing people in puddles whatever your opinion of modern policing probably someone at some point would step in and say hey maybe don't drown that guy in a puddle right. while there are yeah, like they're, s- there are a million all, security cameras everyone
0: seems to be be in on it yes yeah
1: i guess that's right yes
0: um so twist
1: number so that's we're up to that point and then twist number three three or whatever we're up to that okay so um dr ellie staple believes that she has you know done her regrettable duty and, and killed these people and goes back to the um goes back to the asylum to delete all the security camera footage because there's a whole um, sequence earlier where you see them putting up all these cameras to keep an eye on Samuel Jackson's character. Um, And she realizes that at this point, and I think the movie is at least sort of successful in, in having had enough sort of busyness to make you forget that there was a stray shot earlier where you saw Samuel Jackson kind of go into this, um, security camera room and like type a bunch of computer code and then it just cut away and and it I think it makes you think it has something to do with the big building that they're going to that they never end up at um but anyway she goes to delete the security footage it's all deleted everything's fine and then she kind of says hey, wait a minute um has anyone else accessed this footage um and that's when you realize that in uh, this whole thing was a big setup and that in fact um Mr glass the ultimate mastermind was playing like ninth dimensional chess <laughs> and in fact had arranged for them all to get murdered in a parking lot in full view of security cameras so that he could then stream the security camera footage off-site um, and had sent to the three people we mentioned before kind of one for each of them Bruce Willis's son and James McAvoy's victim and uh Samuel Jackson's mother Um and so they all get copies of, of the footage and they kind of in the last sequence scene of the movie they decide collectively to upload it to the web to sort of foil these people's plans and let the world know what the truth is uh, and then they just kind of sit in 30th Street Station um, I think it's around Gate 5 um, <laughs> and uh, and just wait for people's screens to start to light up yes. and the truth to spread around and then um, I think her I think Charlene Woodard has a line like this is the beginning of a new universe or something like
0: that it was a little something like that yes, yes. and seed i think that's the last yes. yeah the last yeah. line and then the camera pulls back and people are like are you seeing this on my on your phone are yeah. you seeing this <laughs> yeah. and then there's i think the last thing you see is like that it's been picked up on like CNN or
2: or something like yes, that. Yes, yes. And in my theater everybody got up immediately and tried to leave because we had been there for a while but then all of us are like fuck actually there's probably going to be an after credit scene setting up some right. kind of and we all stood there waiting for the screen and then there was nothing. The biggest yes. twist and then we all of all. Filed out. Yes.
0: No post credits scenes.
2: <laughs> oh man, yeah. That scene was actually kind of elegantly staged I thought but like it's just at that point it's just so so bad.
0: Well, yeah,
1: and it, and it's I mean there there is like Matt, you mentioned um, going back and watching Unbreakable, which I did as well, and I had sort of forgotten um, because it's so fallen out of his filmmaking now that he was... The long takes. I mean, like, at that point that he was, like, you know, just on a sort of formal level, like, kind of a, an interesting or at least, like, different filmmaker. So Unbreakable is... Okay, it's a movie about superheroes, but it is, yeah, shot in these very long takes, and it starts with, there's probably, a, you know, a three or four or five minute scene that's pract- almost the first thing in the movie, the first real scene of Bruce Willis's character kind of hitting on a woman um, next to him on the train, and the camera just kind of goes back and forth between the seats, so you see kind of one or the other, um, and it, it's an unbroken take, and it's just dialogue, and it's just about, like, who this guy is, and you see him, you know, kind of hide his wedding ring in his pocket before he flirts with him. and before, sorry, before he flirts with her. So you know that this is like, okay, this guy's like kind of a, like a, you know, schlump and he's kind of unhappily married. And um, the scene is probably some of the best, like he tends to be pretty bad. I think at writing sentences, that sound like they would have come out of people's mouths, but that's maybe some of the best dialogue he's ever written. Like it actually sounds kind of painfully, it's like a painfully accurate account of a married man unsuccessfully hitting on a a woman on a train. Um, And there's just, None of that here.
2: There's a little bit, there's a couple of funny sequences, right? There's the orderlies make jokes that are kind of funny at times. You get a little bit of that flavor from him. And I should say that in general, I'm also a defender. Like I like most of his, maybe not most, at least half of his movies. (laughs) But here I do, I agree that that stuff is muted. The other thing that I think he imported were just moments that are suddenly very cruel and disturbing, like the scene where the other orderly threatens to drop his, um, Flashlight, flashlight onto Mr. Glass, and that's like a genuinely tense, disturbing yes. moment. There's the teacup scene. Is that in the original Unbreakable, where young Mr. Glass is like getting broken because no. he's on the teacups? No. See, and that scene—that scene is like pretty effective, and like mm-hmm. it just reminded me that he's capable of doing these kind of jolts of anxiety that genuinely are tense and disturbing. But for the most of the movie, it's all of his worst instincts.
0: There, there are flashbacks to his childhood in Unbreakable, but not that specific one. That right. was like pretty. And, uh, Pretty uh, it was pretty effective yeah. one yeah i i i think that the sort of the like the for- formally interesting stuff you're talking about on unbreakable which i agree with and like you know it's i guess it's cutesy but the fact that unbreakable he's unbreakable the takes are unbroken i think <laughs> is kind of like kind of actually clever yeah um i think the reason that they're not very much present in here in glass is again budget i just yeah. don't i think that kind of like super granular filmmaking is probably he just, you just can't afford to make it that complicated when you're shooting on a tight budget and a schedule and, and yeah, all that stuff. I mean, there's
1: only a very small handful of shots in which you actually see one of them you will recognize because it's like the, the only scene in the movie where the three kind of stars are sitting together. There are very few shots where all three of his lead actors are kind of interacting in the same frame. Um, and that feels like very much, a uh, a function of, of budget. And it does kind of, um, Cripple the movie somewhat. I think.
0: Yeah, so 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 that last scene is a little flash of that long take stuff that you're talking about. But on the other hand, I was sitting there going, "So we have the mother of this evil super genius who killed all of these people, including, you know, including Kevin Wendell Crumbs' father, and turned him into this monster that Anya Taylor Joy like tortured Anya Taylor Joy, yeah, and kind of essentially like doomed." uh uh the uh joseph's dad you know uh, uh yeah. bruce wills's son and they're all like friends now yes and 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 we're treating this action of like an out and out like supervillain who like owns his supervillain like relishes being like a supervillain like, it's, like, treated as, like, the music is, like, inspirational and twinkly yeah. and uplifting. <laughs> yeah. And it, it just seemed very, like, I was very, I thought it was a very strange sort of sequence of events and, and tone to that ending. Where it's like, yes, it's a wonderful ending where these people have been murdered <laughs> and they're, the survivors are now all friends, even though seemingly they would probably want, like. I don't think I if I was like Bruce Willis's son I don't know that I'd want to hang out with these people even in this Unlikely scenario. Right. Well, and they haven't built up
1: kind of the villains, like the, you know, the Illuminati or whatever. They haven't built them up as enough of an antagonist to make just foiling their plans kind of dramatically satisfying. Right. So it's yes. just the ending is supposed to be like, wow, imagine if, like, what if the world knew superheroes were real? And I'm like, you mean at the end of like Spider Man 2 or the end <laughs> of like, like, how many movies, how many comic book stories have, like, have, you know, been premised on that same plot? It's like, we're, that's not an interesting like twist anymore we've been through a million variations of that and just to have that be so like kind of flatly presented is i feel like just feels like another indication like he just really like Shyamalan's just kind of been living in a bubble and he is not like making a movie for this climate at this point
0: yeah and and uh, they the the the, i can't get over the tattoos (laughs) the tattoos are so bad are they all Irish? That was the thing that I was like, is why are the why are they clover? Why were they clover? It's
2: true Sarah or um Sarah Paulson does have like very red hair on this, which is like a Shyamalan thing. He always makes their villains red. He's like a very literal kind of guy. But I, but I guess, I don't know, maybe, they're, maybe they are supposed to be Irish. <laughs> I
0: mean, yes. Yeah. That would be another twist. Never, never trust the Irish, I think, is the lesson. They hate
1: superheroes. The, yes. As the Irish in Philadelphia. Yeah, St. Patrick was the first. Um, <laughs> he, didn't the pa- the, the
0: st- he didn't actually drive the— patron saint actually destroying out. superheroes. Yeah, he didn't drive
1: out the snakes. It was actually superheroes that he drove out of Ireland. Oh and I,
0: I, I do have to say, uh, uh, sort of, I do kind of love any movie where, like, a secret society has very visible markers of their secret society it's like that movie the skulls where they all had skulls tattooed on their wrists but yes. they covered them with watches yes so no one could ever <laughs> yes. know yeah
1: they're, they're like they're their uh their tragic weakness is uh shaking hands exactly people
0: no one <laughs> and... will ever know unless they look at our wrists <laughs> it's perfect oh um
1: God. so let's I mean let's talk like a, I sort of have alluded to this a couple of times but I think it is worth um talking especially because Um, This isn't something people have been able to talk about in their reviews thus far because it is sort of spoilery, but like what happens to Anna Taylor-Joy's character um, who is uh, Casey, Casey Cook. Um, So in Split, um, had this sort of not entirely worked out, um, but, you know, vaguely interesting idea about um, kind of the, the, the legacy of abuse, of childhood abuse. And so both her character... Um, who I think is kind of in an abusive situation, like basically like kind of right up until she gets kidnapped um, by Kevin Crumb. They've both come out of these abusive backgrounds. They've both kind of grown up um, or she's still kind of a, a teenager in that movie, but they are kind of growing up as, you know, scarred by this dealing with the trauma in in different ways. Um, because the plot of Glass requires her to be this kind of proxy um, or to kind of, you know, st- you know, stand in, you know, champion for Kevin Crumb, she just because um, because the script required becomes kind of, you know, sympathetic to and um, sad for him and kind of and sort of defending him and and is still like frightened of him in some ways, but really wants she wants to just like get, you know, this kind of benign personality, Kevin kind of back in the light um, and, you know, considering that she has like literally seen him like physically eat other young women. Um, you know that's and you know and another thing that happens in this movie too. He's always been a Charlemagne has always been an extremely um, chaste filmmaker. Um, there's there's like barely any kissing in his movies, let alone anything else. Um, and in Split, um, and in this movie, even though it's there's only kind of one scene, like there really is um, these scenes where. The beast kind of kidnaps these, you know, kind of nubile teenagers in cheerleader outfits. There really is like kind of a leering quality to the way those those scenes are shot, and even to the way like um, Anna Taylor Joy is kind of costumed in this one. And it just really feels um, it, it doesn't even feel like you know, Shyamalan suddenly become like a dirty old man. It just feels very calculated to me. It's like, oh, this is what I have to do to kind of get audiences back in. Like, you know, it's not, um, it's fairly, you know, it's not like he's throwing in like pointless nude scenes or something like that, but there is something just kind of skeevy about the way those characters um, and those kind of young women are treated in in this movie that really gets under my skin.
0: I thought it was pretty bizarre how, I mean, I, I, the the stuff in Split where... As you said, they they they're kind of kindred spirits in a in a strange way. I thought that was sort of interesting as a concept. But yeah, the where where it goes here, where she almost is like falling in love with him, you know, it's like kind Correct. of Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. Me, um, I thought it was sort of um, bizarre. And you know, like I, I think what he's trying to do is, you know, he has this sort of duality thing going on in Unbreakable where. You know, the whole idea of Mr. Glass, first name Mr., last name Glass, is that he believes because he is so weak physically, there must be someone at the opposite end of the spectrum. And so he finds Bruce Willis who – he's right. He finds Bruce Willis. And so I think there's almost supposed to be something like that going on with those two characters from Split, Casey and Kevin Wendell Crumb, except Casey never quite – like she never gets to really become a superhero. She just is more of a kind of a – A plot device to sort of be the sympathetic person and to sort of to humanize his character and to repeatedly insist he's not all bad, even though he is a literal uh, cheerleader eating monster. And I, I, you know, I just don't think it. I I can sort of see what I, I think I see what he was going for. But it, I don't think it, it it quite works.
2: No, I totally agree. It's extremely lurid. And honestly, the bigger problem for me was that I just completely forgot about her character. But I was like, who is this person again? And why is she not dead? Why wasn't she eaten? And it took basically the entire movie to explain to me again who she was. But I want to ask you about something that you just said. The Illuminati says that they kill superheroes because there has to be balance. And if there's like a superhero, then there automatically is going to be a villain. Do you remember this? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But who is the balance for Kevin Wendell Crum or whatever his name is?
0: Well, that's sort of what I was. Yeah, Yeah, but is
2: it her? But she's
0: not like a superhero. She's not a superhero. She never really gets there. Maybe in the the next movie, (laughs) we'll find out.
1: Yeah, or it's kind of like Bruce Willis again because they're sort of antagonists in this, but then Samuel Jackson doesn't have a a balance. Yeah, they sort of, they do say like people kind of emerge in pairs, you know? But, uh, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't pay off. And I thought, I mean, because you're you're sitting there, you're watching the movie, you know there's gonna be at least one twist. Right. So you're sitting there and I thought but and I thought for a while, like, oh, maybe Casey's gonna turn out to be a superhero, which I thought would be because Anna Taylor Joy is also in the the new mutants movie, which is coming out right. um, this year, I guess. Right. So it's like, how many superheroes is gonna play that she gonna play this year? But the number is still uh one <laughs> because <laughs> nothing happens with her. All she does is kind of You know, and there are all these kind of close ups of her. She has these big kind of almost like sort of inhuman eyes. Um, She has, in fact, played kind of, you know, weird cyborg, um, you know, inhuman characters in a number of other movies. She's got a good face for that. Um,
2: But all she really does in here is just kind of, you know, look sad and feel bad for him. I agree. Although I will say in one nice note, the acting in the movie pretty good. (laughs) Everyone, <laughs> there's so many good actors, and everybody is like pretty okay. Especially Bruce Willis' wisecracking; it was kind of fun. I don't know; I didn't mind him so much.
0: I think on a technical level, I I, I sort of enjoy seeing James McAvoy play all these characters. You, you can see he's having he's having a lot of fun doing it.
2: Yes, although uh, it gets a bit tiresome at times.
0: It can get a little. Like, a little how many tiresome, times is
2: he going to wear a dress or like hit on a male orderly to shock us? I was seeing a little bit. I was like, all right, all right. <laughs> But generally speaking, I agree.
0: And and Samuel Jackson, I think once he gets to talk, you know, he's good. He's good in that role. You know, yeah. he's good at the sort of chatty supervillain role. Like um, you believe him as this mastermind. But again, he doesn't say one word for the first half of the movie, over an hour, and it's just like you know, you're. Uh, that's another almost. You know, he, he himself is almost like a. When are we going to get to the fireworks factory thing? Because he's just sitting there in a in a wheelchair, and you're just. Let him do something. It's Samuel L. Jackson. He's sitting right there. He could make this movie more fun, more interesting, more lively. You
1: got him here. And he's one of like the great, I mean, as you know, Quentin Tarantino realized, you know, 25 years ago. He's like one of our great talkers. Right. You know, like if you just put a camera on him and have him say words, um, (laughs) it will be interesting. Like his his I think one of his best performances in recent years is he did the just the voiceover narration for a documentary called "I Am Not Your Negro" about James Baldwin, and that was like, that was amazing. Like just him in front of a microphone is an incredible thing. Um, yeah, just having him like kind of drool and twitch for like an almost an hour and a half is um, does not seem like the best use of your Samuel Jackson dollar
2: yeah um I sadly agree although great outfits his yes. like purple mr glass mg thing yes amazing his little sort of like diamond tie pin or whatever it <laughs> yeah. is yes so good
1: um so let's um wrap up and just kind of talking about like where or if this kind of fits into like kind of where we're at with like superhero movies in in 2019 because it's you know, as I was saying before, I mean, the, the terrain has just shifted so much. And one of the things that's so weird about this movie is it just, you know, it seems to take place in an alternate universe where that hasn't happened, like uh, Ellie Staple, um, only ever mentions comic books as if that's the only way people would be... I'm sure there are people who've seen every Marvel movie who have never read a comic book at this point. Like, it's just not um, the main format in which the stuff is disseminated at any point. There is... um I think you mentioned this in in your review, Matt. I mean, he seems to be a character um who keeps talking about he's when he's sort of meta-narrating and He's saying, well, well, you know, oh, we're in a limited edition. And then he says, "Oh, this isn't a limited edition. This is an origin story." But yeah, I think he's actually, I mean, this is a nerdy like transparter kind of point, But I think he's talking about a mini series and not a, a limited edition because that's not actually like a thing.
0: Right. In comics. limited edition means how many like how many copies? Yes. Yeah, any 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 comic book could be a limited edition. Yes. Yeah, so it's just it, if you're gonna have
1: like the nerdy geek character in there being like, well, actually, this is right. like he actually needs to get his stuff right. Like, you know, there's there's these this title card at the beginning of a breakable that is like the average comic book has 35 pages, and it's like that's not true. Like that wasn't true. That like I don't no. know where he got those numbers from, but that's like. The average comic book does not have thirty-five pages. That's <laughs> yeah. not even. They, I mean, they come in first. They come in multiples of four because their pages folded
0: in. Like no, no average anything has thirty-five pages. That's not.
1: Like, it's just. What are you talking about?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. It is. It is weird to have a character like explaining comics. Who doesn't seem to really fully understand how how they work? Yeah, I, I guess again, I'm trying. I'm trying really hard to like play devil's I'm be Like maybe, well, he has been locked up in a in a mental <laughs> hospital for a long time. Maybe he's sort of he's 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 kind of his mental state is not what it once was. He's kind of forgetting his uh the the differences between uh, limited editions and miniseries or whatever. But even like he says, oh, this is an origin story what What origin story ends with all three characters dying? like how do how often does that happen? Yes,
2: that was mysterious to me. And I felt like to truly make something like that work, there needed to be like a whole M. Night Shaman Avengers. We needed like at least two more splits. I guess he probably couldn't have pulled off the trick too many times. But there just wasn't enough characters for it either. Like it's just it just didn't it does not gel. Well, she so says
1: that, um, you know, this is this is it for him. He is done. I mean, as we I mean, we, we I think we all stuck around to look for a post credit scene because most superhero movies have them now. And it seemed like this movie might even if only have to have a joke on that. It seemed like as this one might have that. But there is nothing more. Shyamalan says he's done. Um, do we want him to be done? Is, the, is there any use to revisiting this or does he just need to kind of find something new to do with his time at this Ugh,
2: point. No, please just stick to, I mean, when he made The Visit, which was like a delightful low budget horror movie he made a couple of years, I think you mentioned it. It was It was just such a return to the kind of like weird gross out slash comedy slash like low key thriller thing that he's very good at. And that's what I would just, I would just love like five more of those from him. I don't see why he needs to escape so deeply into his mind because nothing good comes when he does that.
0: Yeah, I think I would rather see him kind of return more like spiritually to like something like unbreakable where he deconstructed something and, 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 and rather than have him sort of do something else in this world. I mean, he killed off all the main characters, so I'm not sure who he would even, I guess he could follow on, on Anya Taylor joy's character. Maybe she could turn out to be a superhero (laughs) eventually in this world of superheroes. But I, 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 personally would have very little interest in, in seeing what happens, uh, in, in a world where people have put YouTube videos up and everyone's like, wow, I guess superheroes do exist. I saw it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Lord knows, yes, everything on YouTube is true. Right. Therefore, it exists. Yeah, I think I would just rather – I mean like – I don't know. I, I, I would rather him actually surprise me. You know, like he seems like he's trying so hard to surprise us here and he telegraphs everything. Uh, like, I mean the fact that we didn't see – Anything of Dr. Staple's life outside that time, I'm like, well, she's not on the level. Something's going on here. All of the otherwise unexplained shots of security cameras, I'm like, well, clearly there's. we have to be paying attention to the security. Like, everything was telegraphed in a way that, like – and it's the fact that it starts with, like, an M. Night Shyamalan film. So you know what yes. that he's going to try to surprise you somehow. It's like I just – uh, that it, there was a time where he was this genuinely exciting genuinely surprising filmmaker and i you know i don't know how he could get back to that but i feel like that's the guy that i would rather see rather than any specific even genre or uh or or character that i would want to see him do more of i would just rather try him i don't know be a little formally adventurous again and and try something new and actually surprise me yeah, yeah
1: for me i kind of the best the, the most concrete way to sort of just show like how sort of how much he's kind of run out of gas and this sort of thing is when um, there's this like big final reveal at the end. They're like, oh, actually, Mr. Glass was taping them the whole time, and it and it's like, oh my god, these cameras are everywhere. And then the, it cuts to these shots of people putting in the cameras, and they're the exact same shots that we saw earlier of people putting in the cameras that they have went to like great lengths to tell us they were there. And it's like nobody has forgotten that there are security cameras like all over this asylum. Like you're not, it's like, oh my God, I forgot about that. Or (laughs) I never thought that those cameras could record things that people could later see. It's like the cameras that we knew were there are doing the thing that we know cameras do. Like there's just nothing. It's, you know, it's not like going back to like the red doorknob in the Sixth Sense or something like that or like the, and you're like, oh, that's why his wife wasn't talking to him. Right. There's nothing, like nothing in this movie will look different the second time through. No.
0: And I mean, so much of it is just like random like even i mean we talked about so much about this illuminati without com- talking about the fact that like this is the third movie they just now mention like oh by the way <laughs> this whole time in three movies there's been this evil anti-superhero illuminati group that we never mentioned in any of the other movies but yeah. they're here they exist
2: there's an extremely random quality to all the twists in this movie and yes. really the whole proceedings i think poor shaman is sort of haunted by the next spielberg which is sort of like an infamous newsweek cover that he was yeah. on back in like the Signs era And like he has this this need to prove over and over and over again. The quote from the mastermind, which I feel like we have to say here, when they're talk they're supposedly talking about Samuel L. Jackson, but you see who they think they're really talking about here. He's too smart. He gets everyone looking in the wrong direction. That's why he's the mastermind. (laughs) (laughs) It's so it's an actual that's actual dialogue in the movie. And it's just so clearly that he's like kind of winking at what he does. And of course, he has a cameo in this movie. He has a cameo in all of his movies, and he... The extent to which this is about his ego just seems very, very uh, high. And it's sad.
1: All right. Um, on that happy note, <laughs> uh, Jeffrey Brunner Matt Singer, thank you for joining me for this spoiler special. Um, you all enjoy Glass.